This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, hour two of Sportsnet today is underway. Slogan Gordon along with you on a Calgary Flames game day. Flames and Islanders from the Scotiabank Saddledome later tonight. Canada is golden once again at the World Junior Hockey Championships. A dramatic 3-2 overtime win last night. Lots to get to here in hour two. We'll also take a look at the opposition, the New York Islanders, uh, with Andrew Gross of Newsday coming up. So stay tuned for that. But uh, always a good time to uh, go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in uh, the Flames reporter from The Athletic, uh, my friend and yours, uh, Julian McKenzie, joining us this afternoon. Julian, how are you, man? Doing very well. Happy New Year, Flash. Happy New Year, man. How were the uh, holidays for you? They were good. Got to spend some time uh, with family at home, and then uh, when I came back, some uh, some quality time with myself and also some family here. Hopefully, they were good for you too. Yes, they were great, man. And now we're uh, we're right back in it. It's been a bit of a slow week for the Flames, but uh, game day tonight before five on the road. Uh, before we get to that, uh, World Juniors. I saw you tweeting about some of it. It must have caught your eye a bit last night. Some dramatic uh, OT heroics for the uh, Canadians. Yeah, watched the game uh, with a few friends yesterday, and it was uh, it was kind of funny actually. I I was at uh, one of the uh, local watering holes in the city here, and uh, with the group of uh, colleagues I was with, you know, we were looking at the score being two nothing for Canada. We just thought, you know what, it'd be kind of funny if like you know, because we all wanted a good game, we didn't want Canada to just like romp all over Czechia. Yeah, we just thought if we just thought it'd be funny. If like if Czechia would score, we would just start cheering in this bar, like you know, <laughs> So they scored to make it two one, and we're all yelling like Czechia, Czechia. And then within like under two minutes, they tied the game, and like everyone was quiet. And we're all like, "Uh oh, what did we do? Oh no!" So uh, yeah, I'm glad we're not public enemy number one. Yeah, you would have heard about that in the papers as uh, local uh, Flames reporters. Uh, Beaten at local bar for cheering Chechia to a win or something like that. And <laughs> all, oh, of a, all of a sudden, I, it turns into a way worse situation than it needs to be. I, yeah, I'm looking. I'm thinking of the group that was with me, man. Like I'm like Aaron Vickers was part of that group. He joined us. He might have had like the best. If we got into a fight with any of those people there, would have gotten mad at us. Like I'm, I'm just hiding behind him because oh, he yeah. probably has the best chance of anyone scrapping. I, I don't even count that. on uh, Salem, who works for the other <laughs> network. <laughs> Yeah, we're Team Vickers here. I, I think Aaron would hold his own. Uh, you were with a pretty good group of guys there last night. I'm glad you got to enjoy the game. But uh, we're back on it to now uh, on tonight, uh, our regular uh, festivities here at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Just a little one-game uh, homestand for the Calgary Flames. They're taking on the New York Islanders. Sounds as though it'll be same old, same old when it comes to lines and D pairings from this group uh, that lost to Winnipeg on Tuesday, Julian. I'm curious... Over the last couple of weeks, what you've made of this Flames team, the results have come, but there's still a bit of frustration in this group having to deal with all these close games. Yeah, well, I mean, 
we knew what this team needed from training camp in order to win some of those one goal games. The biggest difference between the beginning of the year where they found themselves either with leads uh, and they just weren't able to hold on. Now they're in positions where they're, they're playing for the majority of those games. They just need that one extra piece to put them over the top. And again, they've needed that piece since training camp. They need a top nine scoring winger and pretty much for the next two months. Uh, I think we're just going to be, I, I mean, I'm not going to say every single flames game is going to show us that they need that piece, but all those fans who I know I've had to deal with through the, the surveys I would do through the athletic are all like, yeah, we want this guy. We want this guy. Uh, is Travis Konechny going to be available? I'm not sure if I want James Van Riemsdyk. Man, is there any way we can get um, Timo Meyer from San Jose? Ugh, I don't know, but do we want Patrick Kane's contract? All that stuff for the next two months, especially if the Flames are going to continue to play like this, we're going to hear more and more of that going forward. And I think like, I mean, already Brad Living has been trying to find that piece since training camp. I mean, the pressure will start to ramp up a little bit. We know what this team needs. Yes, they need help at the back end too, but we know what they need in order to get out of those one goal games. Yeah, it's it's not like it's been a secret. We've we've watched different ways of getting there, but you're right. It's it's sort of been the same old story, and it's funny. You know, every time I see Sonny Milano in a Capitals jersey and I just go back, like, oh, yeah, that, that was the same problem and the same conversation that we've had for for weeks. And it was at times it was Sonny Milano. And the last couple of weeks, it's been Milan Lucic has been there. Dylan Dubé's, you know, sort of positioned himself in a different spot in the top six, but it still feels as though they're still that one forward away from maybe being where they want to be as far as slotting this team goes. And it's interesting because we've seen a guy like Andrew Mangiapane, Julian, who broke out last year with 35 goals, gets a you know a considerable raise as one would when you score 35 goals and heading into a contract year. I don't know if we've talked about him enough this year and the fact that the production hasn't really come for him. It seems like he's playing better, but you know, for a guy that's making $5.8 million against the cap right now, when you're looking for offense for this Flames team, wouldn't it be something if they could get him going offensively? Yeah, I think it's fair to, to look at Andrew, uh, especially when you go through a season like what he had last year. I'm not going to pretend like I watched the team close enough, not being in the market to know exactly why he was able to get those 35 goals. But when you show, especially at the age that he's at, that you're capable of scoring that, you are obviously going to have the spotlight on you a little bit more for, for that production. I thought he'd be able to 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 at least get close to that when uh, he was put on the line with uh, Dylan Dubé and Nazem Kadri at the beginning of the year, and and since then he's kind of kind of, I mean second and third line he's kind of really bounced around between those two, and it seems like he he has that comfort and familiarity playing alongside Backlund and and Coleman. But I I think it's it's like, I think it's very fair to to look at him and and see what he can do, uh, in terms of the offensive capabilities that he can get. But again, I, I still think that. Even if you get him going, even if Dylan Dubé takes advantage of the opportunities he's getting on that first line, Tyler Toffoli's having himself a, a, a year where he's trending towards having probably the best year of his career. They still need that one more scoring scoring winger. I, I, I don't think – well, I think it is fair to look at Andrew and be like, hey, are you able to kind of give us that production you've, you've given the team in the past? Like, I don't know if it's fair to just be like, hey, man, it's all on you to kind of give that. I'm not saying you're saying that, but I, I think that mm -hmm. other side of the argument has to be looked at. 
Uh, two players uh, in the spotlight right now for the Calgary Flames and uh, just happen to pertain to a couple of things that you filed to the Athletic and good timing as we go back to you know just December 31st, just a week ago. And uh, here it is on my timeline, Julian McKenzie, uh, inside Nazem Kadri's Stanley Cup dream and his next chapter in Calgary. And it takes uh, another, it adds another chapter, I'll say, uh, with yesterday's news that he's been selected to the, the NHL's all-star uh, roster for the Pacific Division, Julian. And uh, look, I think you can we can argue about all-star semantics. They're, they're really just a title and uh, something nice to, to look back on. But I, I loved the piece. I thought it was a great retrospect and a good timing to sort of bring it up with you and and go through what's been an interesting journey for Nazem Kadri to to end up where he is an all-star in his first year with Calgary what did you uh learn writing that piece up on Naz yeah so this was one of the very first pieces I wrote when I joined the beat and and getting to talk to Naz was was really insightful uh, just to get a sense of of how he's grown from this kid who was in the spotlight in Toronto and still finding his way to him being a, a grown adult and having a family and also just like becoming this Stanley cup champion. This is a guy once upon a time. And yes, I understand there's some people in the dark corners of the internet who will still say this, but this is a guy who had the characteristic of playoff liability. Like this is a guy who, when you see him in the playoffs, everyone is like looking at their watches and they're thinking, okay, how many games until this guy gets suspended for doing something stupid. And it took everything he has endured to this point, including that cup run, Last year with the Colorado Avalanche, where he goes through the little back and forth with with Jordan Bennington, uh, the injured hand, and then coming back in the Stanley Cup final and winning one of the games in OT. He's had himself quite a journey, and then the offseason goes the way that it does, and he ends up in Calgary. The funny thing is, is that I was talking about it with, um, I think, with Ryan Pike today, uh, just after practice. Of all the guys, uh, you'd think like, hmm, do you really want him to get that all-star nod? Like Nazem Kadri, considering the hockey he's played from the summer on, the short summer he's had to kind of recuperate and celebrate the cup, then he comes to Calgary and goes on a really good start. He cools off a little bit, but I think he's picking himself back up. But like, that's a guy who probably could have used a couple of days off. And I'd, I've already seen a few people get at me and be like, hey, I think Rasmus Anderson should have been there. I hear those people too. I, I genuinely thought that he was going to get that slot or or maybe Elias Lindholm looks at it, but I think Rasmus Anderson might have made the strongest point, but also considering how some of these guys were picked, uh, I, I think maybe some guys should have been there. I'm speaking for the entirety of the league and not just mm-hmm. uh, with the Pacific Division, but I can imagine, but I mean, when you look at Nazem, he's played pretty well. He has that star power, that name, that name brand value. I understand why he gets picked for the All-Star uh, for the All-Star weekend and like, hey, no shade to him. He he's worked very hard to get to this point, and uh, yeah, just again in that story that I, I reshared in light of him making the All Star game, uh, it's a long time coming for a guy whose reputation has changed uh, over the last few years, and and him having a Stanley Cup. Even Daryl Sutter, like he was asked about today about the fact that Nasim Kadri made the All Star game, he said winning pedigree, and I think uh, our good buddy Solomon even asked like, hey. Uh, what are some things some young players can learn from a guy like Nas? And then Daryl's like, we can show him his ring. That's something that couldn't have been said about him before uh, the end of last year and years before. Who knows what could have been said about Nas and Kadri. So it is really interesting to see how he has changed his fortunes and changed his reputation around thanks to his performances. 
Yeah, he's really been a key per- a key part of all of this, and you know now uh, a key part of the Flames. I that was a good point you made there, guys. Remember when Blake Coleman came here and Daryl was trying to manage everybody's expectations and the workload coming off of a Stanley Cup run? And you're right, I'm sure he'll find some time to relax in Florida. I know Naz was talking about that today. It's a nice little bonus that it's going to be in a warm weather spot. But you're right, I wonder how much a weekend or a week away from everything uh, would have done for him. Not that the All Star Game, I think, is is overly taxing, but uh, a quick question. So you mentioned Rasmus Anderson. You mentioned Elias Lindholm. Those are the two names I've heard the most of. If you had to pick one other guy to go with him to Florida, who would you have picked Julian? A lot of people might uh, like, whatever I mentioned this name, they're like, eh, I don't know, but Tyler Toffoli, I think um, I'm not saying he deserves to go in lieu of, of Rasmus Anderson or Elias Lindholm, but Tyler Toffoli, I think, again, he's trending towards having his best career numbers uh, on a team that, uh, you know, we've looked at so many guys being like, oh, this guy's moving, this guy's trying to produce, this guy's trying to do this, this guy's trying to do that. Tyler Toffoli, uh, who some people questioned about his place before the start of the year, he's looked fine on that line playing alongside Elias Lindholm. Could he score more goals? Sure. He's hit a lot of posts too. I get it. (laughs) But I think with the way that he's at least gotten those offensive chances and worked with Elias Lindholm, he would be the next guy after uh, after Lindy and, and Anderson to to get an all-star spot for me. And I, I still think with the way that he's been playing, especially if he gets to those career numbers he could be trending towards, I mean, that could be a really good fit, a really good thing for, the, for this Flames team that, again, needs all that goal scoring. We're chatting with Julian McKenzie. He covers the Calgary Flames for the Athletic Flames and Islanders go tonight from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. And, uh, we might have been scrum buddies at this particular scrum. I, I think we were right beside each other um, back in December. Uh, I asked Jacob Markstrom uh, what happened after the Josh Anderson incident in the Montreal game. Uh, he looked at us, gave us a, uh, nothing, and then gave us the line that got repeated for weeks after that. And it was, I just suck at hockey night right now. And you just finished up a, a Q&A. You filed it with The Athletic this morning. It's up on your your Twitter account uh, at JKA McKenzie on Twitter. And uh, you had a Q&A with him. He sat down and talked about some of the confidence issues that he's been dealing with, the self-criticism, the hardships that he puts on himself, and you know, sort of checking in on where he is at the se- in this season. Talk to us a bit about uh, your sit-down with uh, Jacob Markstrom and how he's been the last couple of weeks. The first thing, I offered uh, Jacob to sit down by his stall. He refused. He said he'd be better off standing. So it was a stand-up. <laughs> it was a stand-up. Okay. Jacob Good to Marcia. know. Yep. But uh, no, he's, he's, he was cool. He was great. Uh, I was, it was cool kind of talking to him about uh, just how he you know takes in all those games and, and how he processes everything. And like one of the questions I asked him, like, are you not like too hard on yourself? Are you not too down on yourself? He's like, no. Like I, he thrives on responsibility and wanting, uh, you know, the – not the pressure, but like responsibility is probably the better word anyway. But yeah. the fact that he'll take on some of those, so I take on that. Like we've asked him a bunch of questions before, like, you know, hey, like, you know, you're showing good things in these games, but like, even though it's a loss, he's like, no, I didn't do enough to preserve the win. Like he seems totally okay with that. And, and, the, and he, I really appreciated his candor and, and how he spoke about what happened uh, with regards to that game in Montreal. Uh, and then not just with necessarily with the Anderson thing, but the wild goalie allowed from Uriah Slavkovsky, which began with Sean Monaghan taking that breakaway at him, and he's sliding how many feet out of his net. Like, he, he, he put it into pretty good perspective when he told me that, you know, it could be easily interpreted as, like, a bad five seconds. 
essentially. It was like a few seconds where just a lot of random stuff was going on, and then the Canadians capitalized and they score. And it's not as if they lost that game like five or six nothing. And the only other goal he allowed was a really good shot from Cole Caulfield on the power play, which, I mean, came after the unfortunate penalty with Josh Anderson. I get that, but he did have some good moments. And it's that's basically what it's been like with, with, with Jacob Markstrom for a good chunk of this year. He'll have some really good moments where he'll make saves at crucial times. It's just ensuring that he doesn't have that one lapse uh, that that I, I guess I, I guess sort of takes him and his team out of it. But he he's a guy who still seems to be pretty confident. Like I, I have to admit, like I said, his confidence seemed pretty broken after that scrum uh, against the Montreal Canadiens. But he tried to make the point to me that like no, his his confidence has been up. It's just he'll have those moments where you know a bad game will happen and you know he put he'll put that on himself that's how he's wired but that's also what will make him better and i mean he knows what works for him he's a vet he was a vesna candidate last year for a reason also the best part of that story was the fact that his grandmother checks in on him i think that was such a really wholesome moment <laughs> I love that and really cool that like you know athletes are just like we have to remember athletes are just like us in the fact that if they're able to speak to their relatives after a game goes well or a game doesn't go well, they're going to take that chance. So I thought it was a really cool detail uh, that he was willing to share with me that uh, his grandmother checks in with him either through text or through phone uh, every every day and every night. Funny enough, I was thinking of my grandmother. My grandmother called me today. So <laughs> that was nice that's, to do. That's always nice. Uh, are you uh, on the same track with a lot of people that feels Jacob's been more the, the Jacob Markstrom that we've expected over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I feel so. Or at least he's getting closer to that. I think he's played like at a 905 save percentage in his last six games. Uh, and if you go back to that Canadians game, uh, it's at a 904. I and and I th- I think a lot about what Dylan Dubé said a couple of weeks ago that like maybe media have beaten it down a bit much uh, when it comes to speaking about Jacob Markstrom and and how he needs to be better. Everyone needs to be better. Um, but I, I think as of the last few weeks, it's been kind of difficult to say that Jacob Markstrom has been the problem. And I think I'll even extend it a bit to Dan Vladar too. It goes back kind of circling back to the initial point of discussion for us too here. Uh, it's, it's, it's everyone in front of them. Uh, the defense needs to be tightened up obviously, but, the, but the flames need to find ways, uh, to get more pucks on net and to score goals. They were trying to do that a little bit during that California road trip. Um, but they just need to convert on those chances. And ultimately, yes, fine. It will come have to come within that forward group of players and whatever they can get from defensemen too. But at this point now, between now and March 3rd, Bradshaw Living is going to have to make a move to get that player in that will help them in their top nine. He said it before that he he's still looking for that player. He has to go do it. Okay, Julian, we're, we're not quite at the halfway mark for this Calgary Flames team, but we're quickly approaching it. Uh, starting tonight and I guess going forward here as we head into the you know later months of winter and into spring, what are you going to be watching closest with this Calgary Flames team? Is it going to be you know what we've talked about and them trying to find some some acquisitions to to help bolster this team? Is it uh, a certain player or a narrative that, that you're going to closely watch over the next 40 plus games here as we finish out the season? I feel as if like the most interesting things about this team might end up coming from off the ice. Like I, I still think the Calgary Flames as a whole are built to at least be in the playoffs. And I still think they're, I'm pretty confident that they're going to turn the corner, but again, that's going to come with whatever Brad Living does and Brad Living as a whole 
it's, he's going to be the most interesting person, I think, surrounding this franchise between now and the end of the season because his contract expires at the end of the year. He told uh, our, our buddy franchise, Eric Francis, uh, that uh, maybe some discussions have happened. Not maybe, but I think he's just <laughs> saying that, like, you know, yeah. it's out there. It's 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 something that could be happening. We'll see where it goes. You know, what's he going to do at the deadline? What's he going to do with with his job status with the with the Calgary Flames? What is his future? He might have the most intriguing next few months of anyone in the organization. That personally is what I am looking for because I think with the Calgary Flames as they are now, we know they're they're a piece away from at least being a solid contender. I can we can have debates about whether or not they'd be a legitimate contender uh, compared to a Vegas, for, for example. But I, I I think with Bradshaw living in his future and what he's able to do with this team. That those two storylines, I think, are going to be the biggest ones to follow, at least through the first quarter of 2023. And uh, last one for you, what's uh, what's happening with you at The Athletic? I know it's kind of a tough one. You just filed something today, but is there anything in the pipeline that you can share with people that uh, you've got coming up? Man. Jeez, you want you want to write my story today? Is that, is that what this is? <laughs> no, no, I swear. I'm no, just I'm trying, kidding, just I'm trying kidding, to get I'm you kidding, out I'm there, kidding. buddy. That's all. I'm getting. Oh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, buddy. Uh, yo, man, I'm still coming coming up with some different story ideas. I can't really talk too much about any. I don't have. I don't have another uh, Matthew Kachuk, Jonathan Huberto oral history coming up. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm obviously going to be looking at the storylines on and off the ice. Uh, looking at Jonathan Huberto as well. Uh, some other big notable players too. I will what I'm what I'm planning on doing, uh, and I have to start it. But I what I will do for the start of early next week. Uh, I like to do report cards uh, for how players do through the first chunk of the year. I did that in Montreal last year. Uh, I will do uh, some report cards for uh, the Calgary Flames players and how they've done through the first half of the year. I think I'll do some letter grades, so ranging from A plus to maybe an F minus. Can't think of anyone on the Flames who's deserving of an <laughs> F minus, but you'll definitely see me grading uh, early next week. Yes. I like it. I like it. And I, I'm just being hard on you. I know you just filed something today. Oh, hey, so I don't dude, wanna, I get it. I, I don't want you to push up that much. It. Dude, man, look, I look, I love this, man. I could be easily. I was saying this all week. I, I'm, I'm having a ball doing this job. I could be in my parents' basement with cookie crumbs on the stomach, just like on some fan board complaining. But like, I, I get to cover the Calgary Flames for the Athletic, man. So it's all good. That's it's wicked. All good. I appreciate you, Julian. Great stuff on the Markstrom Q and A, man. Always appreciate the time. Uh, I'll catch you at the Dome a little later tonight. Hey, catch you at the Dome, my man. We'll hang out soon. Sounds good. Take care, Julian McKenzie. Covering the Calgary Flames for The Athletic. Joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Of course, you can hit theathletic.com or hit him up on Twitter at JKA McKenzie. And you can catch that piece's latest on The Athletic. A Q&A. Markstrom on his confidence, self-criticism, and uh, check-in calls from a very special person in uh, Jacob's life. Uh, he's still telling Julian. I love that story about him. Uh, getting checking phone calls from his grandma. Uh, Julian, uh, of course, joining us on the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. One more piece of business to get done on the show today, and that's a check-in on the Flames opponent tonight. Andrew Gross from Newsday going to join us to give us an inside look on the New York Islanders. They're on a back half of a back-to-back that started with a loss last night in Edmonton. They're 40 games into their season. What can the Flames expect from the New York Islanders tonight? That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
All right, wrapping up hour two of Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We are your home of the Calgary Flames. It is a Flames game day. Flames and the New York Islanders tonight at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Chatted lots about this matchup, but let's get an Islanders perspective. The Flames opponent tonight on this one-game homestand. They're coming in off a loss in Edmonton last night. Uh, to give us the latest on the New York Islanders, very excited to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon and welcome in Andrew Gross, who covers the Islanders uh, for Newsday.com. Andrew, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? Hey, Logan. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you for the time. And uh, tough uh, start yesterday to the back-to-back for the New York Islanders. Uh, a 4-2 loss to the Edmonton Oilers, if you could just... Uh, Give us a sense of what you saw in the loss last night for New York. Yeah, I, it, it all started or didn't start in the in the first period. Uh, the Oilers jumped all over the Islanders, and that's been the case. Uh, it certainly was a, a bad trend earlier this season for the Islanders. Uh, we all sort of thought they had gotten out of it, but on this road trip, really bad first period in uh, Seattle. They couldn't recover. Really bad first period in Vancouver. They did recover uh, for a 6-2 win. And then again, despite all they're talking about, they know they have to get off to a good start and withstand the early push. They just they, they couldn't they couldn't make a pass last night in the first period. And they just never, never really got back to their game. It, it was incredible. Uh, you go on natural stat trick, and at the end of the first period, uh, the high danger chances for all for all situations was fourteen nothing uh, for the for the Oilers, and it was ten nothing at five on five. And at the end of the game, those numbers it was twenty one nothing in all situations uh, high danger chances uh, for the Oilers. And and to me that I I don't know if I've ever seen anything that lopsided like that. And uh, it'll be an important game for the Islanders tonight. They had a strong homestand finishing off the calendar year uh, of 2022, Andrew, with wins over the Panthers, the Penguins, and then, of course, Columbus. Uh, They lost to Seattle. You mentioned the win in Vancouver, and now uh, a chance to get a win in Calgary before they're back at home for a long stretch uh, here in January. Uh, Ilya Sorokin got the start last night in Edmonton. It's been a strong year for him. Uh, I know the Islanders didn't hold a morning skate today, but would you expect Semyon Varlamov to go for New York tonight? Yeah, he's been working his way back from a groin injury. hasn't started. Uh, he, he played really well in, in Vegas on December 17th, and he pulled himself out of the game with about 10 minutes left in the third period. Turned out to be a groin injury. He's, he's back to 100%. And uh, certainly, even though Ilyas Dorokin has shown he can play on back-to-backs. I think, uh, you know, Lane Lambert wouldn't commit yesterday, but the, the, the expectation certainly is to see uh, Marlamov in net tonight. Uh, talk to me about year one for uh, for Lane Lambert as the head coach. He's obviously well aware of this team, being an associate coach with them since 2018, but his first chance at 57 years old to uh, to run the show himself as this team's head coach uh, 40 games in for the New York Islanders so far, Andrew. How would you assess uh, Lane's job as this team's head coach? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been pretty good. I mean, when they play well, they play really well. And uh, 
you know, the tweaks Lane has made is uh, he's gotten a more aggressive, uh, you know, all five guys on the ice, the defensemen are playing up a little bit. Uh, you know, they get into the play a little bit more and uh, the four checks a little harder, a little more aggressive. And they, they've sacrificed a little bit of uh, Barry Trotz's defense for, for a little bit more offense. Uh, that That's when it's going well. I mean, to me, though, uh, to get back to what I started with, this trend of bad first periods and defenseman Ryan Kulak, you know, when he was asked about it after the game last night, said, I, I just don't think we were ready. And uh, unfortunately, when you hear stuff like that, it sort of does come back to coaching, right? You know, the, the players need to be ready. And, mm-hmm. you know, professionally, they should be, you know, there's there's a large onus on themselves to get them ready for games. But when it happens, you know, uh, a few times in a row, I, I think it's natural to wonder just what the coaching staff is doing uh, with the game preparation and what maybe needs to be changed a little bit to have his players more ready in the first period. Tonight marks the, the halfway mark of the New York Islanders season, Andrew, game 41 uh, exactly on the dot tonight. Do you know what this team is so far for the New York Islanders, or is that still to be determined? Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. And uh, I, I know what they are when they play well, which is a, a sort of lot of what we saw in past seasons. You okay. know, they, 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 can, they can play a heavy game. They can grind you down. They're probably going to, you know, they're going to go into the last week of the season, I would imagine, battling for one of the, you know, maybe a couple of one of the wild card spots or, you know, maybe even third place in the division. But, you know, it's not going to be a gimme to get into the playoffs. But if they do get into the playoffs, given the way they play and and the goaltending they do have, they're going to be a very tough out for anyone in the Eastern Conference. They they struggle a little bit more against the faster teams. They they tend to play better against, a, you know, maybe a, a, a team, you know, like the Bruins. As well as the Bruins play, uh, the Islanders seem to match up well with them. And they, and they, you know, the last time they played them in a playoff series, they really ground the uh, Bruins down. And, and if those two ever played again, I could sort of see the same thing happening. So, you know, it, it, it's a great question. I don't. They know what they want their identity to be. It just hasn't been there consistently enough yet this season. On the individual front, a couple of guys I wanted to ask you about in the blue and orange, starting with Brock Nelson. He gets named uh, to the All-Star game uh, in Florida coming up uh, later this season. What's led to uh, him getting that nod for the New York Islanders over guys like, say, Matthew Barzell or even a guy like Anders Lee? Yeah, no, Brock Nelson is just one of the, like, sneaky underrated players in, in this league, and, he, and he's just getting better, and he's he's on the other side of 30 now. Uh, I think he's 31, and he, he just seems to get better and better each season. He's really confident with his sharp shot. He's got a really good uh, wrist shot um, that, that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, and he sees the ice really well, and, and you know, on uh, on the power play, he he can be pretty pretty lethal over in the circle uh, with the one timers um, playing the half wall. He just 
you know, he gets it. And, and he worked really hard to get to this point. Um, yeah, a lot was expected of him when he was drafted, and he spent a lot of time not being able to break into the top six. And it was really when the Barry and Lane got here, that it, and also, you know, John Tavares going off to Toronto, opening up sort of that second-line center spot. And, and Barry told Brock he was going to get that chance, and uh, Brock has really never looked back. And, and again, it's kind of, you know, you get to the other side of 30, and you don't expect a player to be better and better each season. But that, that's, that's really what I see out of Brock. He's still elevating his game. I remember going back to the offseason, there was so much talk about the Islanders involved in a couple of, you know, of the big prizes, whether it be trades or free agents out there that Lou Lamorello was going after. And the, the biggest acquisition does come in the, at the draft in the form of a trade with the Montreal Canadiens and uh, acquiring young defenseman Alexander Romanoff uh, in exchange for the 13th overall pick. Uh, at just 22 or 23 years old, I believe 23 now for Romanoff, uh, he's played a pretty substantial role for the Islanders this year. What have you made of year one for him in New York? Yeah, uh, I mean, he certainly delivers on the body checks, and that's as advertised. He's, he's been a good guy in the room. Uh, you know, he's uh, a very friendly guy in the room, and uh, certainly he helps out the two Russian goalies. They help him a little bit with his English, and, you know, they, they help him make him feel comfortable. Uh, I know he talked before the season about wanting to produce a little bit more offensively. That has yet to come even though he is pushing up the ice a little bit more. Um, you know, defensively, like, like anyone, you know, really, he's had a, a, a few laps and a couple of bad penalties uh, taken. But for what the Islanders needed in the offseason, I, I thought he was a good acquisition. And like you say, he's still really young. Uh, he's, he's younger than the Islanders usually get defensemen into the lineup. Guys like Adam Pellick, who, who's been out now for over a month, and Ryan Pulak, and, uh, you know, even Scott Mayfield and Sebastian Ajo, they really had, you know, a, a pretty decent, uh, you know, uh, stewardship or, or internship, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, down in, in, in the A at Bridgeport, um, you know, where they were close to their mid-20s really before getting a shot uh, in the NHL. So Romanov, uh, a little bit younger than Islanders defense, and this, this being, you know, Noah Dobson aside. But, yeah, I, I like I like Romanov's commitment to, uh, to body checks, and I think he plays a very clean game, even though he does lay out some really heavy hits. He, he, he's not one of these guys who's looking to, to uh, lay out high shots. He, he really does. You know, it, it's sort of a lost art, the, the body check when done correctly and the shoulder checks and all that. But I, I think uh, he, he's pretty good at that stuff. One guy I wanted to ask you about uh, before we move on to a couple different topics here, Andrew. Uh, Kyle Palmieri's played in just 21 games this season. When I think of the Islanders and what they try to do, he he's really at the top of the list for me and guys that I would put, you know, in the importance category for, for this group. How much of the Islanders... Uh, missed having him over the last little while. Yeah, it's, it's really been a bad stretch for Kyle. And he uh, yesterday he participated in the uh, in the full team morning skate, and that was his first time really going through a team practice. Although it's not 
you know, morning skates a little more low-key than in actual practice. But it, uh, it was his first time on the ice with his teammates like that since he got hurt uh, December 16th. And the day he was hurt, uh, that was his first game back in the lineup after a 10-game absence. So it, it's been a really rough stretch. It really taxes uh, the Islanders' depth. And, uh, yeah, Kyle was uh, – he, he's had trouble getting – unleashed you know, during his tenure with the Islanders. I thought he was playing pretty well uh, right when he got hurt the first time, which was a shame. And I don't know how long it'll take him to kind of get back up to speed. Uh, and I'm not quite sure exactly how many, you know, more practices he's going to need to get back into the lineup, but uh, it, it would certainly help their depth. They've been doing it, you know, not only Kyle was out, Kyle Clutterbuck, uh, came back in last night's game. He had been out since the December 16th. Both Oliver Wallstrom and Simon Holmstrom are down. So uh, you're talking about losing four right wings. Um, you know, it really hurts the depth. They've been using Casey Sezikis, who's normally the fourth-line center. He's been getting time as Matthew Barzell's right wing, and so is uh, Hudson Fashing, who uh, was an AHL call-up. And uh, Hudson, a little bit of an older guy, but he, I think he's showing that he can be a, a pretty good role player in the NHL. But yeah, no, to your point, the Islanders' depth certainly needs, you know, kind of Kyle Palmieri's hard-edged play and his ability to kind of be a, a nuisance around the crease. Tough spot right now for the Islanders uh, heading into, you know, sort of the period between Christmas and the All-Star break here, Andrew, because they're right in the thick of things when it comes to a wild card race. Uh, Pittsburgh is right on their tail. They're trailing a little bit behind the Washington Capitals. When you look at this team and you, you kind of evaluate where they are at this point in the season, would you expect Lou Lamorello to look for any sort of out-of-organization additions to this team to sort of prop them up as we're under you know, 60 days away from the trade deadline. Is that something that you can expect the Islanders GM to, to look at? You know, it's funny. I think every year of Lou's tenure, I've said, yeah, he needs to make a move. And I think, yeah, what was it? I, I, more often than not, he hasn't made yeah. a move. Um, you know, obviously he brought in Jean-Gabriel Pajot. He brought in Andy Green uh, because Pellick was hurt that one season. Um but yeah, this this is another time where I really, I, I really feel that he needs someone in the top six on the wing who can score if this team is going to be a really dangerous uh, playoff team. And to be honest, they, they could probably use a, a lefty uh, defenseman as well. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to afford both of that in terms of assets, but. Yeah, uh, you know, for them to really maximize what they can be, uh, I would say Lou does need, there is a pressing need for Lou to make a move here. Uh, last one for you, Andrew. Appreciate the time today. I always like asking guys that cover teams when they come into Calgary uh, to give the listeners maybe a guy that's uh, a bit under the radar that you would see on a day-to-day that's making a, a big impact on this Islanders team for uh, our listeners and for Flames fans to take a look for from New York. Anybody that we haven't talked about uh, on this Islanders team that you would uh, put in that category? Well, I mean, uh, we, we sort of talked about him. Or I, uh, you know, I brought up Hudson Fashing, and uh, he's a guy, he, he had 
uh, tries with both the Sabres and the Coyotes. And really, it turned into, you know, he would shuttle between the NHL and AHL, was really turning into a journeyman, might not have gotten a chance here if not for the injuries. But now he's playing the bumper spot on one of the power play units. Uh, He skated last night on Brock Nelson's right wing. Um, He's potted a couple of goals here. And he just plays, you know, we talk about Kyle Palmieri playing that, you know, kind of hard-nosed game. And Fashing's got a decent-sized body, and he does the same thing. He's good along the walls, and he's getting to the crease. And and he can kind of motor past people and create chances. And uh, like I said, you know, we we talked about what Lewis did or did not do in the offseason. Right now, you know, Hudson Fashing is the leader in the in the clubhouse in terms of Lou's best offseason free agent signings. Um, you know, Romanov obviously coming in a trade, but you know, H- Hudson Fashing is a guy that probably not many people around the NHL know. Uh, to me, it, it sort of I, I was covering the Devils when Blake Coleman really started emerging there, and to me, it, it, there there are a few little similarities. Uh, I see between the two guys in terms of just the tenacity they needed to have to, to finally fight for a chance to become a full-time NHL player. Blake Coleman certainly has maximized his chances, uh, you know, with the lightning and now here in Calgary and, uh, you know, Hudson fashion may turn out to be, you know, a guy that sticks in the NHL, even when the Islanders do get healthy. Interesting. Uh, appreciate that and appreciate your time today, Andrew. Thanks so much for, for hopping on with us and giving us some of your time this afternoon. Enjoy the game tonight. Uh, enjoy your quick stay in Calgary and all the best to you the rest of the year, hey? All right, Logan. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Take care. Andrew Gross joining us this afternoon down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. He covers the New York Islanders for Newsday.com, formerly covering the Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. He'll be uh, up on the catwalk in the press box at the Scotiabank Saddledome tonight as the New York Islanders are in town getting set to take on the Flames tonight. It is a 7 o'clock puck drop, Flames and Islanders. That means our coverage gets going at 6 o'clock with Steinberg and Lou Bardius. Then uh, Derek and Lou have the call, Flames and Isles at 7, right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan will tell you, too, an optional morning skate for the Calgary Flames today. Uh, Dan Vladar was out getting some extra work, so that means that we're likely to see Jacob Markstrom get the start in goal for the Calgary Flames. No morning skate for the Islanders, as you heard with Andrew there. They're coming off a 4-2 loss against the Edmonton Oilers last night, expecting Simeon Varlamov to get the start in goal after Ilya Sorokin got the start in Edmonton last night. But as uh, if you listen to that conversation with Andrew, um, as it does happen, Varlamov making his way back from injury uh, wouldn't be the strangest thing in the world if the Islanders did lean on Sorokin back-to-back. Their schedule actually kind of plays into that a bit too. If they did want to go down that road, uh, they don't play until Tuesday. So they've got a couple days off here. they got three days off before they're back at home uh, for five straight. So the Islanders could theoretically go down that road if they wanted to. Um, but we're expecting Semyon Varlamov to get the start for the New York Islanders as far as the Flames go. When we say uh, no morning skate, we can't give any lines or pairings updates. Just going off of what practice was on Thursday, we expect things to remain the same as they were in that loss to Winnipeg on Tuesday. 
That would mean Redeem Zahorna as your fourth-line center. Brett Ritchie has not skated with the team since leaving with injury not too long ago. So Flames and Islanders tonight. Don't want to miss that one. We're your home of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. One more uh, piece of audio to get to you before we uh, hand things off to Hockey Central 960 this afternoon, and that is uh, the aforementioned Blake Coleman. Uh, He knows this New York Islanders team very well from his time in the Eastern Conference. Playoff battles with Tampa Bay and New Jersey Devils, now a member of the Calgary Flames, and he spoke to the media today after Flames morning skate getting set for this game tonight. What have you seen out of your line since being reunited with Michael and, and Andrew? Um, I think it's been good. I think uh, you know we get to the forecheck. That's kind of where our game generates a lot of our offense, and um, you know obviously a couple goals here and there, but uh, the chances have been there's been a lot of them, and I think you know we feel good about that. I think you know we just uh, keep emphasizing to each other and to ourselves that we need to, to finish off more of them. Michael wasn't super excited about advanced stats, but among lines that have been together for 75 minutes or more at 5-on-5, you guys lead several advanced stat categories and expected goals and Corsi and things like that. What does that speak to, do you think? I think it's just kind of what I was hitting on. I think, um, you know, for the most part, when we're out there, we we, uh, have the puck, we're in the O-zone. You know, typically against whoever it is, we, you know, we're able to dictate the play for the most part, and... um, you know, with that said, we've given up a goal or two that we shouldn't have and things like that. So there's still little things we want to correct and be better. And, um, you know, they're easy guys to play with. They both play hard. They both uh, compete uh, to make plays and, and uh, to defend. So uh, it makes my job pretty easy. Blake, how would you describe the impact Nazem Kadri's had here so far? Well, maybe the part we see on the ice and then behind the scenes. Yeah, Naz has been great for us. You know, he's uh, he scored some big goals and he's been a good addition obviously for the power play and um, you know filled some offensive needs that we were uh, definitely going to be lacking in and um, you know and then obviously in the room he's won a cup now he's he's been around the league for a long time so a guy that can be leaned on um, you know especially by young guys and things like that and um, yeah he's just he's been a good teammate and uh, he's a great addition to our team. There you go Blake Coleman Flames forward Uh, he'll be in action tonight with the rest of his group Flames and Islanders one game homestand before five on the road for the Calgary Flames. We're wrapping things up here on Sportsnet today. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for all the texts at 960-960, the fan feedback line always open here on the program. Uh, thank you to our guest today, Andrew Gross of Newsday, Julian McKenzie from The Athletic, and, of course, Peter Labardius uh, talking all things Flames and World Junior Hockey Championships. This is Sportsnet 960, the fan.